Hey, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And in the words of Jesse Williams, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. We're so real. We're so real, so magical, and so productive because this is our 20th episode. Hooray! Happy 20th episode, Damika. <laughs> Happy 20th anniversary, boo. We that made it. That means we've been doing this for 40 weeks. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say for like 40 years. And I'm like, I mean... This, we've been doing this for 40 years. Uh, it just feels like yesterday. <laughs> I mean, we're we're rapidly approaching that golden anniversary. Girl, and I've had my eye on <laughs> this dish set. <laughs> okay. You just say what you want, boo. I got you. Uh, just the words I want to hear. But seriously, I love. I lo- I feel like we've been doing this project for much longer because we started talking about it actually in the summertime. Like we did around ish this time, kind of, sort of. I think. Yeah, I think it was actually even earlier in the summer. Quite honestly, like earlier in June, maybe. Yeah. So we decided for our twentieth episode, um, we wanted to bring back an episode structure that we did earlier mm-hmm. this year with this idea of kind of clearing our docket, answering a lot of questions. We got some good feedback on this episode of structure when we did it last time. Mm-hmm. So got to give the people what they want. Always. Plus it's always nice. There's some people who ask us questions that might not be able to fill out a whole episode though. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure we, could. we could make it I'm work. I'm sure we could. We are, we are just that magical, but you know, some things don't necessarily require as much as we would love to go on about it. You know, give once again, you know, give that kind of straightforward answer. And so, yeah, some of them are fewer. Some of them are things that we've probably been asked in person. And yeah, I think we've had a really good mix, a really good mix this time around. Yeah, I agree. We have some heavy ones. We have some light ones. We have some things that we can very quickly and easily answer, though that doesn't mean we will very quickly answer. (laughs) No promises. (laughs) (laughs) We have some that are a little, a little heavier. Yeah, I think it'll be good. It's it's fun to cover a lot of ground in one episode. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I feel like we've been definitely working on our brevity with our mini sodes. So I think we can really work on this we put in practice. Let's see how let's see how good or well better we are doing. <laughs> words. <laughs> words are so we've talked so much today. I've nearly run out of words. All right. Let's jump in. Are you ready, Damika? I am so stoked after you, my beautiful friend. All right. So the first question we have is, can you be racist against white people? Like, is it even possible to be Mm. racist against white people? What are your thoughts? If we're going actually by the definition of the word racist, and it says, can you, which I'm guessing it's going to, I'm going to go ahead and say that's us, the people of color. I'm going out and guessing. technically. No. And I think that exactly. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's, it's so funny when you look at it, like, that's the short answer. Yeah. And this is something we've gone in our own conversations back and forth on Mm -hmm. because I feel very strongly, no, you cannot be. And it is, like you said, rooted in that definition of racism. Mm -hmm. And I think that's ultimately what it has to come back to is like, how are you defining racist? Mm -hmm. So, 
for me, racism, the definition of racism is racial prejudice and power. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot be racist without the power. And so there is no way that a minority person could be racist against the majority. Completely right. There has to be legit and legal collective control over over people. And quite honestly, the dominant ideological system in our society is geared towards white people. So it is. And I do think we get a lot of white people who ask this question because what they want to know, and I think what they're looking for justification mm. is, is that minority groups can have biases and prejudices. And that's, I think, that's absolutely. A, and I think that's what they're trying to go for is that they have might have received what they may assume to be traits in racism, but what you're actually receiving is prejudices and biases, which some of it could be very founded either in fear or experience or in discernment and protection for whatever the reason, what you're experiencing technically by definition is not racism. It is prejudice or biases. So it's one of those things of like, is it great? No, but that's the truth. They're not being racist against you. And prejudice and bias sucks. Yeah, it sucks. It's terrible. Not denying that. But racism has that added layer of power, a power dynamic going into it. So so before you open your mouth at a big gathering and ask that question, just go ahead and you can use our answer. There you go. All right. All right. Ready for the next question? Let's do it. Okay. Oh, I like this one because it was like, this is one from the very first questions we had. It was like kind of grouped up with a lot of questions. So we took this one out of it. How do we educate our kids about the past and explain racism? Yeah, that's a really good question. And one that I, I'm happy to hear people asking because Mm. I think it's an important question uh, for our society and for our future, quite honestly. And I'm interested to hear our, our differing views on it. We both are around children mm-hmm. and you as a parent um so your your experience is much different than mine but i've been i've been working in education all of my adult life and working primarily with kids though i've worked with all ages and i think you know your responsibility as an educator and your responsibility as a parent are quite different when it comes to explaining the past and explaining racism Mm -hmm. and it's it's not easy like it's not easy to explain racism in the past to adults much less to children like you don't want to you don't want to scare them you don't want to traumatize them but quite honestly what we're looking at is a society where children of people of color have no choice but to discuss these things, whereas a lot of white children never have those discussions with their parents. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a necessity. But why would they? You yeah, it's I mean? a necessity for the world in order to survive to have those discussions with your parents when you're a person of color. The great example of it is the police talk, right? Yeah. Like what you do if you're pulled over by the police or if a police officer approaches you. That is not a conversation that typically happens within white families because it's not necessary. So what we're seeing is a big disconnect between racial groups about understanding of racism from a young age. So kids of color, 
understand it in a different way than white children. And so there's definitely importance there because what you see a lot of times are are adults who are afraid to talk about racism because it's not something they've had practice talking about throughout their lives. Even pointing out race is seen as racist, which one, it's not. Like it, that's it, fine. Yeah. You can you can say, you know, a black person without being racist. Like the term black person is not yeah. a racist term. And in fact, not using it in some sort of racial sensitivity move feels more racist to I know. me. I, I think <laughs> people who try to be overly, no, I think people who try to be overly racially sensitive are actually showing how uncomfortable they are, which is showing, hey, do you have some, Do you are you feeling some kind of way towards people of color? Like it, it just makes it feel like there's more history there than need be, that there is just like an ease and a comfort of, it makes me feel like you're aware that there is something there between us that you don't want anyone to know. Do you know? Exactly. It, it, that's yeah. what it feels like. You're just trying to make sure that lid on your Tupperware is super tight to make sure none of the racism slips out. And it's like, no, come on now. Like, let's have open conversations. And I think what I feel for parents, and I understand as someone who's already had to have some really hard talks with their with their daughter, especially because, you know, we are a mixed family. You're not taking away your child's innocence by talking about race. You're empowering your kid towards compassion, towards people who are different. And I think when you realize that through having open conversations by, you know, screening and finding movies that are not afraid to talk about race, finding books that are about races outside of your own history books that are age appropriate that actually talk about real history. Like there are so many resources out there. I mean, it was a long precursor <laughs> starting to discuss the actual answer to the question, but I felt like it was important context. Mm. I agree. I think there's a lot and there's more and more every day of age appropriate materials to share with your children, books and stories and movies and all those things are out there. You just have to start looking for them. And most kids who grow up around any sort of diversity recognize it pretty innately. Mm. They can tell that other people look different or other people eat different food or other people behave differently. They're aware of this. And so it's important, I think, as parents and as adults in children's lives, that the way that we model our behavior is going to impact the way that they act. So it's not only mm -hmm. giving them the resources that give them the history and give them the background, but also checking ourselves in our own yes. behavior. Like if you're afraid to say like a white person or a black person or an Asian person or whatever in front of a kid, like you are teaching them to be afraid to say mm -hmm. those phrases as well. I agree. Or also just having people in your life that look different than you and have them in your home and have them at your dinner table. And and yes, maybe if you don't live in the most diverse um, area, that might be a little bit of a problem. But I, I feel like if you were showing that you desire to have relationships and have relationships with people who are different than you, and your kids are going to follow into that. They're going to have a certain kind of ease and understanding and just actually asking friends of yours to share their life and experience with your kids as well. Cause hearing about what's really going on in the world from somebody else that they trust will make it more real to them. Even, even more so than a storybook 
or things of that nature. But you'd be surprised by how much kids can handle. Thank like, kids you. Kids can understand things. Mm-hmm. Kids can really grasp context and grasp concepts that are quite large as long as they're presented in an appropriate way. And it doesn't mean they have to have like a big epiphany about something with the, no. the, that you talk to them about, but they can they can handle it. They really can. And not everything at once either, like, you know, step by step, you know, and, and kind of go through all this. You know, we, we can't talk about, you know, uh, slavery and oppression and then with the, the, you know, first Native Americans and you toppling it on. It's I was telling Danny with Mariah, like what goes on in the world, if I see something um, on the news or if there are particular holidays, you know, you take that time and put some emphasis in it. You incorporate that into your everyday life. So that way it doesn't seem like it's Black History Month. I better talk about Black history now. It's like, no, this is American history. These are people that we are with every day, but this is how we got here. Exactly. So, so, so the answer is the way that we do it is by finding resources that are age appropriate, sharing those with our kids, not shying away from those conversations and just modeling open communication, I mm-hmm. think, yep. our, is our concise answer. Yeah, that we promised that we were going to try to give. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. We'll try our best. So, Damika, next yes. question. In what ways do you self-censor because of your race? We've touched on this before, but mm-hmm. what ways do you find yourself censoring? You know, this uh, this one was a particular hard answer because you have to do a lot of self-evaluation, which is not my fave. No, it's nobody's favorite. We all hate right? it. We all totally hate it. I think my thing is, and if I have to be very honest for someone who's around a lot of people who are not like myself... Um, Mm -hmm. I really censor what I actually talk about because it has been my experience. If I bring up a topic that is a little bit more either racially or even genderly driven, that some people tend to get very nervous and I can tell their discomfort. And I'm a very passionate person when I speak and I don't believe in fluff conversations. And a lot of people now, anyone who meets me like, oh, she can be a bit intense. I just asked her, you know, do you think it will rain today? And I'll talk about watering a drought. I just, I, I, you know, I escalate and that's fine. It's funny because I don't necessarily think of you as an intense person. I really, I get, I get people think I'm very intense. I mean, I, I think you have strong opinions and feelings and, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call you intense. I wouldn't call me intense either, but apparently I, but I think when you talk about certain topics, it really makes people uncomfortable or what I reference and how I reference a lot. And I think um, my tone, I definitely censor mm. a lot, which is not. I well, mean, you don't want to be yeah. an angry black woman also, no, right? And I've, I've talked about it before. That's one of actually one of my biggest fears, I think, is people losing my point because they're thinking I'm just an angry black woman. And I have trained myself for a long time to how can I articulate myself in a way that people will find it non-threatening, which as I get older, I'm like, well, maybe people need to hear a little threat. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like in, in all serious. And I think people need to hear when you are being quite serious. And I think I have kind of mastered the whole Michael. My, my husband has told me, I'm like, I don't think that person knows that you're actually upset with them. Like, what do you mean? I told them exactly how I felt. I'm like, you literally just told them in a way that was like still relatively nice and compassionate. 
like I don't think people get when you, they have hurt you or upset you or you were bothered by that. Mm. It's like, oh, I just realized I have done it for so long that now I need to get to that point where like I need to tell, I need to make my point very, very clear. You know, in a way that maybe has a little bit of base in it. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't. How? What about you? I don't think I am. I am the stereotype of the fiery, colorful Latina woman. (laughs) 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 I wouldn't categorize myself that way, and I don't think that that's how people perceive me to the time. So I think the way that I self-censor because of my race is less internal and more external. So I find myself censoring depending on the situation that I'm in and the people that I'm around. I tend to be a lot less comfortable offering up my thoughts and opinions if there are too many people not like me in the room. So in many in many situations as somebody who has worked in academia, there tend to be a lot of white people in the room, a lot of white men who have very strong opinions that they are willfully throwing around <laughs> and just like with that, with reckless abandon. Cilantro. Exactly. It's just cilantro, cilantro. all over the fucking place. <laughs> and so the more of that that is around me, the more I censor because mm. I just, I feel like my voice doesn't have a place What's in the room. isn't it? It is. It's total protection. And I also get nervous, not only because I feel like I don't have a place, but also there's that weight of having to be a representative, which it's like, I have plenty of opinions that plenty of people from my community do not agree with. Yeah. I don't want to be a token brown person and I don't want to be representative of my race or my gender in those situations. So it's easier to just not say anything. Well, there's just like a lot of there. It it really is based upon fear of why we would censor at all. And I think people might think it's weird of like, well, no, you're just being yourself. I'm like, but honestly, there are some people who I think would be shocked of being like, actually, you really don't get the full experience of me whatsoever. Mm. Does Mm. that make sense? And it sounds, it's like, and even just saying it right now, I feel very exposed because there's so many people I like, I, I love them to death and I have a great rapport with them and, you know, we, we kick it and it's great, but there are very few people. I feel like I'm completely, um, you know, get full hundred percent unfiltered Demika. And it's not just necessarily like boisterous, all my opinions. It's also my vulnerabilities as well. It's, you know, fears and my concerns of just even like, my gosh, you know, like I said, when I went back home to Albuquerque, like I had a mental breakdown because someone who was my age was shot a a block from my parents' house. I don't like anyone knowing that I'm terrified. You don't get like, I'm very scared to go back to America. Very, very scared. As much as I miss, you know, my my friends and my family, like I'm very scared. And there's some people I wouldn't have that conversation with because I have to say, oh, because I'm afraid to get shot. Because you can just see it in their face. They close right. down and they right. don't know what to say to that. And it's then it becomes me calming them down because they're upset. And it becomes about them. Yeah. That's always the fear for me mm-hmm. with vulnerability of opening myself up to someone else. I've opened myself up. And now you've made it all about you. And Mm -hmm. I've already put myself out there. 
But now I have to put that away so I can take care of you. Yeah, and it happens more times. And I and I believe that people showing how upset they are about how unjust this is. And I appreciate that. Keep that that passion of especially like my favorites. Like I just don't understand. I'm like, don't ever do. say that. Please don't <laughs> ever say that. No, no, girl. My favorite reaction is I told somebody that I got spat spat at in town, right where I live now. Um, gosh, maybe not even quite a year ago. And someone went, no, here. Like that was a response. Like, not, like they went, no, like, you know what? You're right. I am lying. You're, I spat on myself. It was just, it was windy. It was a windy day. I think part of the sting of such comments is also the fact that you and I, and maybe I can extend this to, to many people with similar backgrounds and similar experiences, tend to be very careful about the words that we choose to use. Mm, at least we try to. We try to. <laughs> we try. But we're already like self-censoring. So so we really give thought to the words that we're using and the, the impact the words that we have on other people. So mm. when people spout out like, uh, no, it's like to me, it's like you're totally discounting all of my experience with that. No, mm -hmm. to me, it's not comforting. Like, I'm sure their intentions is like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe that happened. And, and this is a way of comforting you by showing you that, like, I can't even believe that would happen because mm -hmm. I would never do such a thing. But to me, I'm reading it as a, oh, you're totally dismissing my whole experience and saying that it's not real yeah exactly what it is and it's not like a oh i would like no no way no way in this day and age are people still doing that i'm so sorry it's always like a no like i must have been mistaken and i think i've had that like or my favorite was oh how do you know it was it was at you because it was at me and they looked at me and then they did it do you know what I mean? Like when I, it, it is so difficult to do that. And I think that's part of that censorship. So I think it's one of those things of where I am trying to be a little bit more open and vocal about things. But I also realize if I, I do have to toughen my skin because I do need to show people how to respond and how to talk to one another. But I do realize that I've probably maybe not allowed teachable moments because of that reason of just like, I don't think I can handle someone making it about themselves. But I'm like, but if they never know that, how are they ever going to learn? Right. It's it's this weird cycle, too, because it's like, mm -hmm. if you don't share these stories, people aren't going to hear these stories and they can continue to think that these things don't happen. Like, it's, it's rough. Mm -hmm. But it's also like that fatigue. It's not your responsibility to educate people. You have to take care of yourself. And yes, if you're able to put yourself out there and be vulnerable, like mm. that's amazing. And power to you. And I support you. And I got you. And I'm right here to share my experiences with you about when I've been spat at and told to go back <laughs> to Mexico. I feel that. And I'm here and I support you. But I also just as strongly support your desire to self-censor to protect yourself. Because ultimately, mm. you have to take care of you. You really do. Ready for a not so heavy one? <laughs> yes. Sort of, kind yes. of. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes. And it's a perfect question for you to start off because I think it's just, it's so lovely. This was given to us through Instagram by a young lady who is super crazy cool. So thanks for this one. What are your thoughts on fashion as a brown girl? 
how do you react to you dress white or the opposite to urban? Because I think you're very fashionable. Thanks. So. Yeah, it's it's not something I I talk about on the podcast or in life with people, but mm. I do take a lot of pride in the way that I dress. I like to dress nice and and she does everybody. She cute. <laughs> she cute. Thanks. And I've I've come to terms with it over the years cuz it does make me feel like it's a little shallow and I like I like to dress nice. Um, I do not like shopping for clothes. <laughs> Uh, so, I believe so hell <laughs> is I believe like the center layer at Dante's Inferno is a dressing room where you have oh, to God. try on jeans. God, like, <laughs> where it's an endless God. eternal. Is there is there anyone jeans. who doesn't feel fat putting on jeans in a dressing room? Like, because like real, not I would even love jeggings, like real denim, real jeans. I mean, like I think that's even like even the skinniest amongst us. Oh yeah, feel fat. Because our society is fucked up. (laughs) I like fashion in the sense that I have a style of clothing that I like and that I like to wear. I don't like follow any sort of fashion bloggers or have designer clothes or anything like that. Um, My clothes is like an amalgamation of clothes I've made, clothes I've I've bought at thrift stores, clothes I've bought new. Like it's a it's a huge mix of things. And I think in some ways my style could be described as dressing white (laughs) because I tend to dress a little bit more hipster vintage I was going to say alternatively (laughs) yeah so it's definitely like perhaps not urban (laughs) (laughs) but you know I wear lots of dresses I just kind of own it Mm. ultimately for me my fashion and my my thoughts on how I dress are ultimately for myself. So I don't worry too much about how other people are seeing it. And I, I recognize that's an easy thing to say and put out into the world. It's much harder mm. in practice. Girl. Something I've I've done for a long time. And I think the fact that I do dress a little edgy. <laughs> we just keep throwing out these adjectives until one just like <laughs> sticks. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not afraid to to mix patterns and to wear white after Labor Day or whatever. How dare um, you? How dare me? <laughs> so the fact that I just kind of wear what I want is has been my reality for a long time, so I don't worry about, about dressing the part of my race. Yeah. I don't know. How about you? Mm. Do you do you have thoughts on fashion? If you're asking me if I have ever worn apple bottom jeans, the answer <laughs> is no. I I feel this question very much because I think I grew up quite tomboyish. It was very much of like jeans. Oh, me too. Yeah. Actually, Je- I didn't wear yeah. dresses willingly until like adulthood. No. I hardly ever saw you wear dresses like growing up unless it was like a show day or if it was a co- someone we stole from the costume closet. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I would st- steal costumes from the costume closet. Yeah, sorry, just wear Mr. them Hacking. over my clothes. Yeah, totally. I, fucking weird theater kids. Yeah, exactly. I can't. Yeah, dot. I don't have to say or rehearsal skirts. Um, but for me, I thought that like I didn't want to be too girly. I'm like em- em- embrace your vajay. So I I always really struggled with style in general um 
But I actually was always into fashion. I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I thought that was always going to be for a type. To be honest, I don't feel too much oppression um, as far as my race. Because I, I guess in my mind, like, there is, like, a way to say, like, you dress too urban. But it, my personal growing up, there wasn't access so I feel like I didn't even have the choice to dress urban, even if I wanted to. I'm sure you can turn it because a lot of urban things right. at the time of us growing up was a lot, a lot about like labels and certain patterns and cuts and things of that nature. But I will just out us right now and say mm-hmm. that we were poor. So we didn't yeah, have, we didn't we have did, the we, option. No, 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 no. Unless it came from that that super goodwill or savers, like unless, And the thing is, I feel yeah, and every all my clothes had paint on them. Like, let's just be real. It, it, that's just that's just the truth of it all. I feel like you do what you can afford. So, but the thing I've actually felt more backlash to, not necessarily is for my race, is more my size. And so mm. that has been more. I felt I have had a massive push for sizeism, and I know that's not like our show's you know POV, but that I have had a lot of issues with coming to grips with my size and fashion because as I've gotten older I actually really enjoy fashion I've actually really enjoy makeup and really enjoy hair and kind of the same thing of like I didn't want to be viewed as shallow or whatever but now I'm like you know what damn if I look good I feel good and that is worth exactly. it exactly so it's not that's shallow. how I feel too yeah exactly so I'm a, if I want to get a little eyeshadow palette I'm not being vain I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to get through this daggone day on two hours of sleep like I'm just trying to figure out how to do life and that is more than fine because that does help my mental health but I have been told that I can't wear certain things because of my size and I (laughs) I have all the feelings I feel right now past 30 I have cared the least of what people think I'm still working on it because it's the whole mom body I broke my leg put on weight it's crazy it's deeply ingrained too it's like so, it's deeply ingrained in us so ingrained but I feel like is making sure I'm healthy of kind of getting over that and then like I love that I want to be urban one day if I want to throw on my big hoops and if I want to put on you know my twerk jeans and I want to live my life I can and the next day if I want to rock um a hippie floral skirt I'm gonna do it I used to be very much like I'm in a box this is what I'm gonna do this is my brand this is what I do like no what I do is what I want to do and I've had so much more freedom of variance of look between preppy edgy I, I really enjoy that I found so much joy being a bit older and being more confident in myself but I still have a ways to go because I'm aware that people think I shouldn't be wearing certain things because of my size, but I don't know. I mean, you don't need me to tell you this, but I think people should wear whatever they want. I give no fucks. I mean, I give no fucks anyway. But like, <laughs> I don't think I don't think your size should impact the types of clothing that you wear. Like, who the fuck cares? Mm. Who cares? And I think more people are feeling that way. And you're, you're hearing more of that voice of been like big girls can wear shorts and sleeveless things. Obviously, Even, it's yeah. hot. <laughs> Girl, it's so hot. But I can't tell you how I like I wouldn't want to wear shorts in the summer in New Mexico because I had so much shame. So much shame. But now, I mean, I'm wearing shorts right now. So Good. that's a little Me visual too. for the unicorns. Yeah. There you go. 
who cares? Who cares what people wear? People are going to judge you. Ultimately, you need to be doing it for yourself and for nobody else. I also very strongly, New Mexico is a very laid back sort of place, right? Mm -hmm. Or like Wild West. Yeah. People are super casual. I do not dress casually most of the time. I kind of dress up and that's fine because I firmly believe like, what the fuck am I saving these dresses for? I don't need to save them for like a special occasion. Girl, if I want to wear this dress, I'm going to wear this dress. I'm going to look nice. That's fine. Get ready, Walmart. I'm about to turn it. It is my runway. Or a day. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's just how I feel. Like, and maybe I'm overdressed, but I don't really care. But for whom? And even this question of just like fashion for a brown girl. It's like, you know what fashion is for a brown girl? Whatever the hell I have on. Guess what? That's what she wears. That is what she wears. (laughs) I like that question, though. I think it's it's a good one that perhaps people don't think about that much. Yeah. If you've never had to think about it, you're like, oh, I would never thought about it. Well, we do. (laughs) Okay. Next question. D'Amika, do you identify with one side over the other in terms of your biracialness? Ooh, this one came in through our email. Once again, was kind of like part of a long stream of questions. Um, <laughs> this one's never easy. So growing up, I would have said just because of the nature of how I grew up and my mom doing most of the raising when we were super young, my dad worked loads. I would have said I would always feel more partial towards my white side. Um, but as I got older, I went out, had my own experiences, had community, got involved, got educated. Um, like I said, made my own friends and had more exposure towards not only just African-American culture, but also the Latinx community as well, just because by the nature of how we grew up and also the Native American culture. And I would battle as those who are biracial do of like, am I more this? Am I more that? And I feel very confident in saying I am very much both. And Mm. that is difficult because the world will never treat me like both. I'm never going to get treated like a white girl. The best I will ever get treated as is a mixed woman, which is still a privilege. And I, and that's another layer you have to come to grips with is this world. And that's if that's for people who know, because like I said, on the offset, I don't necessarily look mixed all the time. There are certain like, Hence, black people know I'm mixed. <laughs> we'll say it like that. Like people yeah. are like, yeah, oh yeah, she's mixed. But, you know, other cultures might not necessarily know right off the bat. So even though I identify as a mixed woman, I am biracial. I'm very much um, one of two halves. I do not get treated that way. And so that is a bit tricky. But that is how I identify. And I feel, like I said, more confident in that now more than ever no matter how difficult it is to say that, yes, I am also white, but I still get followed around in the stores. It's really a bum deal. So <laughs> um, what what about you? Because your experience is a little different than mine. And I think it's it very is. common, actually. I feel like your experience is a lot more common than particularly mine. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about race at all, hmm. we're looking at – There's like this continuum of race, Mm. right? With white on one end and black on the other. And then like all these other racial groups kind of falling in between, right? You got Mm -hmm. your like Asians and your 
Latinos and your um, Native Americans and whatever else you want to stick on this continuum. If you are white, you are seen as white, right? There's Mm -hmm. people who might be of some mixed ancestry that are included in there, but most people are seen like as white because they're white. If you're black or if you have like any hint of black within like the past couple generations, you are racialized as black. So that's like Mm -hmm. kind of what I'm hearing from you. Like you're being racialized as black, even if you see yourself as the beautiful unicorn you are of a mix. As somebody who falls into the middle of this continuum, I feel I have very little control of how people racialize me. So Mm. I am seen as definitely not black and definitely not white, but like somewhere in this murky area in between. By, by most people that I meet, right? Mm. And so I think just having that external factor, like it's hard for me to identify strongly with something just because of the way the world treats me. The, the way the world mm-hmm. treats me is not consistent. Within my own personal experiences, I've talked about on the show, I was raised by a single mother who is Chicana. And so that is how I... I see myself. My father, who is mixed race, white, and Native American, which is also Chicana, is is white and Native American, Spanish <laughs> and Native American. But but my father, like I don't I strongly identify with those those parts of my heritage because I didn't grow up in that in that culture as much Mm. um, since my parents were divorced when I was like five or six. So for me, I see myself as a, as a Chicano woman, but it's always with like the asterisks of needing to explain what I am. Mm. So it's like, yes, I identify strongly with that, but I also have this asterisk. Like when people ask me what I am, it's like this fucking long description Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so it's hard and I think for me growing up I identified more as Hispanic is the Mm. word that you know my mom uses and and that a lot of people uh, in New Mexico use to describe our heritage and as I got older I shifted using the word Hispanic to Latina and then eventually to predominantly Chicana because for me the beauty of the word Chicana is it it encompasses that complex mixed race mm, idea in and of itself. So for me, it's it's a little bit of a cop out, but like I feel like I can use that word and it explains a little bit of my mixed race heritage mm. being biracial just in one one word. Um, and even though it's like I am biracial in the sense that if you distill it all down, it's Native American and white are the two races. There's that added weirdness of like this ethnic identity being you know from from spanish speaking people in the americas so i guess my my long answer was too much <laughs> so if i ever <laughs> to distill it down i identify more with my mother's heritage than my father's but in my in my situation both of my parents are are biracial so i can't I can't remove that. And if you look back throughout my both of my parents' um, genealogy, actually, they've both been biracial for for quite some time within within my family, my the two branches of my family tree. So I can't I can't not identify as biracial. Mm-hmm. 
Like I can't just pick one. <laughs> and I, I think that's the thing too. I think some people say there is, you know, identifying that and what, what you relate to. And I think that's one of those things where it's, you can get caught up in definitions very closely, which I thoroughly actually enjoy of like, you, you can identify as this way, but you relate a little bit more to something else. And I think that's, I think there's a lot of people saying, you know, kind of the same thing. I didn't have that influence or that parent around or that upbringing. I lived in a different neighborhood or what we observed. And I think for people, there is like a twinge of guilt mm. a little bit, especially I think we talked about it before for those unicorns yeah. who are not mixed with white if they actually are mixed with two different other minority groups, there's almost like that allegiance of making sure like I represent both or making sure both are even. And I right. would say sometimes that doesn't happen, you know? And I think just being really proud and loving and comfortable in your own skin, I would say never have shame and ignore. And if you have opportunities to learn more about yourself for, you know, either side that you may feel a little lacking in knowledge, but ultimately, I mean, it's your life that you have to live. This is this this is your skin you have to walk in. And I think as long as you're doing it in a way that has a lot of like pride and love, um, that's what you need to do in order to kind of not survive because that sounds quite dramatic. But being like, yes, this is this is how I get on with my day to day. For some people, it's be like, yeah, no, I, I identify more of this side. That's what I'm more knowledgeable. That's how I grew up with. And that's how I explain it to people. But like, then good on you if you feel, you know, if you are native and Chicana, but you feel more native. All right, go in peace. But it does have so much to do with how people do treat you. And that's what's so difficult sometimes. Yeah, Absolutely. Oof. Ready to keep the heaviness going? Oh, yeah, totally. Are you ready for this? Uh, I am not, but <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Wow. These questions. So I was actually asked this question in person, which ugh, I did not answer. But here we go. We're going to do it in, per in, in real life now. Uh, Danny, what was the worst you have ever been treated because of your race? Uh, I feel like this is a really painful question <laughs> yeah I, yeah we definitely mm, girl all right yeah Let's, yeah do it it's hard to choose <laughs> girl uh, almost made me spit out my sparkling water i mean and this is i i feel like it's a fucking cop out and i'm sorry because i'm not going to share one particular instance and instead make it kind of a, a bigger a bigger answer it would be weird if it was short. Yes. I mean, it'll be short. But kind of for me, I think the worst is just a larger, more sustained experience of being the person that I am and being of mixed race is kind of this constant denial of my heritage because I am not fully one thing. And so it's something that I, I feel like I experience from, from both sides, from all sides. This idea of not being brown enough to be brown or white enough to be white and experiencing that from, from everyone, if, you know, like being called a dirty Mexican, but then also being called a stupid white girl. Like, like yeah. it's, it's just this sense of like, 
non-belonging mm. in my life. And I know it's it, it feels like a little bit like a cop out, but I think for me, like when examining particular situations, like yes, I've experienced like explicit racism, but I think it's it's these moments that have contributed to me feeling like I don't belong anywhere because of my my mixed race heritage that's for me the most painful and the worst way I've been treated. So mm-hmm. I don't know. How about you? I mean, believe it or not, like going through the laundry list of things that I have been through does not give me any joy or pride, which is why I didn't answer the, the question when someone asked. It was more like, why would you want to know that? Um, yeah, it feels like yeah. people are getting some sort of like sick satisfaction from knowing this. I'm sorry, that maybe yeah. sounds a little judgmental of a person asking us an honest question, but I don't know. It's just like the gut reaction is to be like, well, what's the worst you've been treated because of your race? <laughs> like, well, I, I don't know well, why it makes you feel so defensive. Was, yeah, well, my gut reaction was like, oh, Okay, it's almost like, do you need to feel bad about something? Do you know, like, some people, they need the guilt mm, in order to, like, yeah. do you need to be flogged? Like, do you need to feel penance? Do you want to hear about this and have a good cry or whatever? Or it's the opposite of, like, well, you obviously have not been treated that badly. But it's like, so so, he, so here's the rub. Have I been physically harmed because of my race? Yes. Have I had racial slurs thrown at me in my life? Also, yes. Have I probably been in some really horrific danger because of it? Also, yes. Has my family been mistreated and stared at and beyond inconvenience? Yes. Have I been accused of things? Because Yes. All the boxes, all the things you hear, I could sit here and, and tell you that. You know, does that make sense? Like, I could right. sit here and tell it's you. like, but, in which way do you yeah, mean? Yeah, in which way? In what year? Like, are we talking seasonally? Um and, and I think that's like, what's the worst you've ever been treated? I think any time where I felt like I wasn't believed is pretty painful. When you mm. go to seek solace, like when you go to to seek refuge and you're not believed, that is a pretty horrific feeling. And of course, like when I was physically harmed, um, that I mean, you can literally say that's the worst feeling because you are in pain. But the worst is when you are not believed and the person who has administered the ridiculous racism gets off scot-free. Mm. When you are treated like that fifth-eighths of a person that Black people have been treated for for historically a very long time. When you're reminded of that in these certain ways, like that that's pretty awful. Or when you're treated as being over dramatic because of your race or a kind of like a little piggybacking off what you said but when you share these experiences within people in your community but they don't take it seriously because I'm not dark enough to really experience anything really racially driven and that's pretty sucky yeah I'm sure that's probably not the answer anybody wants but it's almost like I'm not going to tell you all the the gruesome details does that make sense? Like, I don't feel not that people don't deserve it, but I feel like what would be the point of it? You know? Yeah. 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 Well, I agree. Wait. I would also like to sh- throw an honorable mention to the fact in this goes for all people of color of uh, to the fact that just like 
representation within our society does not match our identity. So I think that there's like a big disconnect between what we feel we are able to accomplish and what we are actually able to accomplish because we we don't you don't see strong women of color in positions of power. So it's like mm-hmm. you don't ever feel like you can seek that power or go after it. And I think that that's a pretty shitty way to be treated because of your race. Mm. I think so too. And also like in the world of academia, like I've actually, I, I will, I will do this. This will give like, this has not been the worst, but this is the feel of it. I actually had a teacher come up to me and basically kind of sort of ask for forgiveness Because they said they didn't call on me or want me to work on like these lead projects because they saw my name, saw me, saw my hair and figured me as like one of those ethnic girls Mm. is about what the conversation was. And he's like, it's really sad that towards the end of the year, I really just got to know like who you are. And I'm like, well, what happens if I was one of those? It was one of the things that it was so hurtful. And it made so much sense. And it was like, so I was at a disadvantage in my own class, in my own, like, you know, this world of actual supposed to be of intellect and study because of your biases and how you view me. And that put me at a disadvantage and that separated me simply by my name. Right. I mean, I've, I've been told that I in in education settings but also elsewhere but let's focus on the education settings that i speak really good english yeah it's just and things that's, like that that's pretty hurtful it is and i think that's why it's like all these these little of course like i said you, if you want the big dramatic tales you know i'm not here for it but just realizing that every day you're going to get these little kind of knocks of people commenting on my hair and things of that nature you know of course we're all going to have tougher skin but I don't think people realize of like, that's your everyday treatment. You're looking for these, you know, once in a blue moon, dramatic, racially slurred words thrown around, obvious treatment, but you're not realizing that the person who checked us out at the store will make a comment about how we're dressed or, or, you know, how to pronounce our names or what we look like or what we say. And that's just our everyday interaction. And I'm be real, like it hurts. It it really does. But you got to pick it up and go about your day or else girl girl (laughs) we need we need something more light yeah so i need to know what music do you listen to and does race affect it yes and no because nothing is ever ever easy here i love most music i will listen to anything from folk music like traditional like neil diamond uh jim croce to uh was it uh, outcast i like like classic hip-hop and rap um i do i like dance music i love i i just enjoy it i really really do i listen to mediachi love me some mediachi seriously like i enjoy it and i think race does influence it because music is influenced by race i don't think there's like it might not be driven but very much like influence and i think there's a lot of music that tells a story about a certain culture or a certain person's race and so i don't know that is my short answer there brevity enjoy i just love i don't know i really enjoy music and i am i love it all well you're you're also a musician so i feel like musicians love music right we do why i love hearing like like i said because some of them a lot of music is stories 
even if you don't like the stories, even country music, which I'm not a massive fan of, it's still a window into a life I don't live. I've never owned a truck. I'm just kidding. But it's, but do you know what I mean? It's still a window into a life that I don't understand and I don't get. But it's still so cool to have someone have that and listen to it. I mean, music was one of a, a huge way of communicating from early days and every culture has a certain way and songs that they sing. Like it's just so important. And I think it translate even with things like dubstep and house music, like you still see those influences. People are trying to tell a story and invoke emotion through this art of music. And so of course I'm a big old flaming geek for music. Absolutely flaming. What about you? <laughs> what about you? I am not a person who will say I like all music. Mm. Because I think there are legitimately those people. I believe that you are one of those people. But I think most people who say that <laughs> aren't actually that way. <laughs> they are. There is a limit. <laughs> there is a limit. I am not into country. Like, there are the occasional country song that I will like. But, like, as a genre, could live without. Reggae. I will love one reggae song. But that's... Then I have my fill. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, things like that. Mm. But I think I listen to a pretty wide variety of things, regardless, even if I don't listen to all music. Mm. I think my heart will always be the heart of like a, a punk rocker, which is very white. Um, so <laughs> so I was very into punk rock and metal and, and hard rock growing up. So those are things I have that have a really soft place in my heart. Aww. But but I, I listen to all sorts of things. I've even recently discovered that I do, in fact, like some pop music, and that's fine. Like, I like what it I is. like, and that's fine. I've definitely been into a Japanese pop and Japanese rock for a long time and K-pop to a certain extent. As I've gotten older, I listen to more and more female artists and that's becoming mm. increasingly important to me i love love mia i will love mm. her until i die i'm pretty into i've talked about her as a happy place before snow the product mm -hmm. who's really great i've been listening to billy eilish's album a lot and i really like mm. her also so I, I like all sorts of things but i will i will often default to you know 90s alternative or punk rock or early 2000s emo screamo sort of stuff mm, right in the soft spot right there right there's definitely people of color i listen to and there's white people i listen to yeah and i was saying earlier this week that there are a few things i love more than like a spanish cover of a pop song <laughs> Oh, so good. So I'm pretty into that also. I can get behind just appreciating music. I like to just listen to to instrumental stuff as well. It doesn't have to have mm. singing for me to like it. Totally. Oh, completely agree. That was just what we needed. Oh, girl, speaking of, have you heard Moana in Spanish? I have not, but I guess I will have to listen to that after this. Yeah, I just did that for my daughter. She lives her best life. And I got her a dress of Moana for her birthday in February. So there's nothing more beautiful than hearing my daughter trying to sing along with Moana in Spanish dressed as Moana. I'm just letting you know in case you get down today. You can always pop that photo in your brain. I do, I do like the music for Moana because, you know, our boy Lin-Manuel Miranda is amazing. Uh, yeah, it kind of is. 
All right. Are you are you ready for this next question, girl? All right. Let's do it. All right. <clears throat> Apparently, it seems as strange in society if the woman is black and the man white. I mean, what is your theory on this issue? It seems okay in the black community for black men to get with white women, but all hell breaks loose if a black woman dates a white man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's real. That is, it like, is real. First of all. That is mm. real. Yeah, that is indeed. The simple distilled answer yes, is it comes down to status. Uh-huh. So a black man getting with a white woman, a white woman is seen as higher status than a black man. So reaching up, awesome. Uh-huh. A white man dating a black woman, a black woman is lower status. So that is seen as a white man going below his place. So it's seen as something something negative. That's the simple answer. Do I agree with those statements? Obviously not. Yeah. But I think that's how how things are seen within our society. So so that's just the reaction that people that people have. And that's to take it back to a previous episode. It's it's based in in the history of our country, right? Like a the child of a union between a black man and a white black man and a white woman is a a free person historically, whereas the child of a union between a black woman and a white man is a slave. So that's essentially a white man like condemning his children to slavery it is and we've also talked before in another episode of just like these standards of beauty as well even if we go on just beyond of what societal breakdown of what we value as what's marrying up or down there's also beauty i mean there is why would a white man want to go with someone with darker features um stronger features uh different texture of hair uh, that doesn't make sense to that. Why would someone white would not find someone of their same European features find that more attractive? And I think a lot of people, when asking that question, it is so blatant of what they view as beauty and quality in a woman very quickly. Mm. Um, as someone who not I, in asking know, that question, but like yeah, in just that response to that question, mm-hmm. I suppose in the world. Exactly. Because it's like, I feel like I'm, I get to be on both sides of those coins because my mom is white. My dad is black. I'm a product of that. Did they receive pushback? Yes. Did we have discrimination against our family? Yes. So not saying that either way does not receive um, discrimination, but I still think even now, even living in Europe, you see actually quite a lot of African-American males or even dark skinned males of different races will be with woman who is European, um, a, a white woman. And that's, I don't think people look at that sideways anymore. But when you get the reverse, I think some people do still do a bit of a double take or they do my favorite because like I said, I'm married to a white guy. I'm a fairly dark skinned woman, fully figured. People will do a kind of a double take or like the, uh, uh, okay. It's that, that high pitch of like their brains are trying to make sense of it before it explodes. But that just is a dead giveaway of how far we still need to go with understanding um, standards of beauty and class as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I think there's still just that that assumption that people will be with people of the same race. And Mm -hmm. we do see that that is still the norm within our society. 
the majority of of white people I know are married to other white people. Like, just going to say that. And the majority of Latino people I know are married to other Latino people. That's the way things are. So I think there's still like a little bit of like, you know, a little bit of a double take when it's any sort of mixed race relationship. But I agree that it's it's somehow worse when it's a white man with a black woman with a, a white man with a woman of color but i think yeah you know the, the the biggest push i think is is a white man and a black woman because the contrast is once again going to that continuum of racial identity in the world those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum so i think mm-hmm. that's the biggest contrast right and we won't even talk about the slack that women of color get for being with a white man we literally do not have time. I know we probably touched on it, yeah. but we won't. Well, we won't get into this. We just marrying up, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm, don't be mad about it. <laughs> uh, is that what we did? Dan? Is that is that what we did? There was no love involved. No we were love. Just, you know, we were trying to get out that ghetto, and we just climbed onto the <laughs> the whitest thing we could find, rode it into the sunset. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Danny, our lives. Oh my goodness! <laughs> All right, <laughs> will you end this? B, will you? End yeah, this yeah, bee? yeah. We're about to wrap up here. The yeah. final question is just a question about what are some of our reading recommendations? Do we have any reading recommendations about the mixed race experience specifically, or just in general? It's summer mm. reading time. It is for someone who doesn't get to read anything longer than a pamphlet. There are books on my list that I want to read. It counts. It counts. Yay. All right. So I have Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, who is not only a comedian. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Trevor Noah. Oh, yeah. Trevor. Make that happen. Yeah, Yeah, Trevor. Anytime. Anytime, boo. I mean, the the kettle's on. The tea's ready. (laughs) (laughs) We should just make him our mascot, but like, just, just not. Just not right. tell him. We'll just start tagging him in like every single post we make. With everything we did. Our minisodes tag him, our stories, just just bombard him until he just accepts us as his friends. Um, I really want to read that his book, Born a Crime. I think it's going to be turned into a movie as well. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, he's uh, South African and white during apartheid. And so I love hearing about mixed experiences that necessarily aren't from America either, because I think it also gives people who are mixed in America, a different uh, America gives us a different perspective as well. And I always really, I feel like I always need that perspective is how race relations also go in different countries. Mm. Also, there was another one. It's supposed to be a bit, a bit for younger readers as well. It's called a Mexican white boy by Matt de la Pina. One, the reason why I like this book is I actually heard about the author first because he was reading about a different book that was more of an action one. Then I found out he did this one about a boy who is Mexican and white, mostly with his white mom that goes down to visit his dad in Mexico and the complexities of that. But I think I've I've actually read that book. Have you? I have. Yay or nay? I would give it a yay. I would say it's worth a read. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like I said, I heard about the author first before I heard about the book. And I thought, I just, I liked his vision and what he was trying to do. Mm. And um, so, like, I think that's sometimes hard. Yeah. Here's my review that I wrote about it on November 7th, 2017, when I read this book. Oh, Danny. I can read it to you right now. 
It's very short. I love it. I love it so much. Do it. I've been on a mixed race ethnicity book kick recently, which is how this book made it on my to read list. In that regard, it didn't disappoint. It definitely dealt with the issues those of us with mixed ethnic racial backgrounds often experience. Feelings of being an imposter, wanting to fit in somewhere, etc. That's my review. Aww, Danny, I don't. Did you just have that at the ready or you just have your list up? No, um, I I opened up my Goodreads uh, <laughs> to, to talk about my list. Girl, when you mentioned that caps. book, I was like, oh, yeah, I've read that book. So I pulled it up to see if I had written anything about it. That's amazing. So I did that. And also, because once again, I'm, I'm a mama, and most a lot of the books I read are children's books. I also thought I put some lovely children's books, since we also talked about going to the kids. There is Chocolate Me and Mixed Me, and that's actually going to be by the actor of uh, Tay Diggs. He just came out because he has a mixed race child, and he wanted to write a book for that kiddo. And I found a read-through of it, and it's cute. It's nothing crazy, but I think even if just seeing a child seeing someone who looks remotely like them is really important. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a book called I'm a Beautiful Little Black Girl. In it, it does talk about a black girl, but what I love about this particular book is I had girls of all shades. For me, who my daughter is very light, but she is still going to be a mixed black girl. Um, it was good for her to see the different shades. This author, Betty K, I think, Bynum? Benham, I think is how you say her name. She also has a book called I'm a Lovely Latina. And I think she, it's like a I'm a collection. I think it says I'm a beautiful black boy. Um, I think she's going through all the different races and just giving them representation and encouragement. So, yeah, those were my little mixture of recommendations. Awesome. So here are my my recommendations. Oh, I'm actually really excited to hear them. I love reading. I love books. So I'm always happy (laughs) to make book recommendations when possible. So specifically focusing on this like race or mixed race been to things. There are a couple of books that have been a while since I've read, but I think people would enjoy. I try to read a pretty even split of fiction and nonfiction, but quite honestly, the books that tend to resonate the most with me tend to be fiction. I'm just a sucker for stories, I suppose. Mm. But uh, there's, if you're into short fiction, there's an anthology that's called Mixed. And it's mixed, colon, an anthology of short fiction on the multiracial experience. So I feel like that is pretty, pretty self-explanatory why that made that on on the list. It's a bunch of short stories. I actually own this book and I found out about it because an author who I like had a story in it. And so when I was just trying to read everything she had ever written I, I came across this book and it's it's really great. It's just a good way to feel feel seen because it's such mm. a, a vast array of experiences of all sorts of backgrounds. So recommend it. There's also if we're talking fiction, it's a little bit I think it's I think it might be technically a young adult, but it's it's a pretty heavy heavy read is a book Mm. called 
the girl who fell from the sky. And uh, I saw that. Yeah, it's a novel. It's the story of a girl named Rachel, who is the daughter of, uh, she's mixed race. Her mother is Danish, like actually Danish, not just of Danish descent. Mm. And her father was a black uh, GI. And um, she is the sole survivor of a tragedy in her family. And so she's forced to move to a new city with her strict black grandmother as her guardian. Mm. Um, And so for the first time, she's put into this black community and she's, you know, fair skinned and she has blue eyes and she's getting all this attention because of that and she's also trying to to cope with this mystery and tragedy of of what happened with her mother Mm. so it's it's an intense book but it's it's really beautifully written and it's a really good read so i would recommend recommend both of those I have a couple of books also that are on the list, but that I haven't finished reading yet. I'm currently reading uh, one of Barack Obama's books, the uh, dream, their dreams from my father. It was his first, his first book. And so it's nonfiction, Mm -hmm. but it deals a lot with his, his experience as being mixed race. So it's, it's really interesting to read. Uh, from his his perspective as you know a mixed race person uh, who didn't know his father and just his his experience and growing up in a culture that's very different from his own ethnic background so mm-hmm. so far so good I'm not done with it but I'm enjoying it he's a really great writer uh, which obviously since he's a really great speaker too and then there's a book that's on my to read and it's a little less biracial and more just dealing with race I suppose it's a it's a book called race riots and roller coasters the struggle (laughs) over segregated recreation in America so you know just some light light summer reading (laughs) yeah I mean it has the word recreation in it it's true yeah, so so this book actually kind of deals with the history of the civil rights movement and just segregation, like everything from like public pools to, you know, parks and what it means to be black at public spaces today. So I think it just came out. It's mm. a pretty new book. So that's on my to read list. I haven't read it yet, but I think it'll it'll be good. Let's let's just talk about our happy places. What's yours? Are you going to ask me what mine is? All right. Mine is, I actually, um, it's going to be, you know how we like reach back sometimes. So a few weeks ago now, my husband and I kind of did an impromptu trip to London, Sans Daughter, which that time is very rare. In fact, I think this might be only the second time we've gone to London without her. But the main thing is, and the backstory on this is, is that my husband, unlike me, does not like thrillers, true crime. Mm. Kill- yeah, I don't know how we're going to make it. Um. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> but this this guy, he took me to the Jack the Ripper Museum that's nice. in London. He did of his own accord. I've never mentioned it. I've never brought it up because I knew there was no way we were ever going to do because they've got Jack the Ripper tours where they'll drive you or they'll walk you around the area. And of course, that's, you know, it's like classic true crime 101. Um, So I went. Now, was it like amazing and astounding? No. 
But it's really cool because a couple of podcasts I've listened to about it talked about the material that they got beforehand. They actually was on loan from the museum that I actually got to go to in person. And I thought the museum did a really good job of not glorifying the murder, but actually talking about the injustice towards women and issues of the poor. Um, so I, cause the thing is, I don't like glorifying murder, especially serial killers. I mean, that was quite, you know, violent, but, um, I got a book from there that I'm trying to like ever so slowly get through, but I just, I don't know, in lieu and getting ready for it, I was just like completely ingesting way too much information about Jack the Ripper, but it was making me so excited because I was, it was just one of those things of they've never found the person. And I think there's this, mm-hmm. it deals kind of like with that cultish, borderline cultish kind of obsession or fascination with it. And like I said, the fact that you can walk on the streets where it happened and the, uh, there's been so many movies that have come that have been inspired by that. And I don't know. I, I, I know it's a really, dark happy place but it's not that dark i hope so. i hope not to me i'm like it's a old it's a old murder guys and i'm not yeah I'm it's not old super old but the thing is the gift shop was a bit eerie um because of course they call jack the ripper like gentleman jack they definitely had teddy bears wearing like the very iconic tall hat and kind of cape i'm like i'm not buying a a, a teddy bear that may or may not resemble <laughs> A that's, serial killer. That's that's a little weird. <laughs> it was. They're just like gentleman Jack teddy bear, and the teddy bear is adorable. It it it's a teddy bear in a mischievous cape and top. It was too far. I didn't even want to buy an eraser. It was just weird, guys. You can't you can't merch Jack the Ripper. Just just sell books, maybe a pencil. And that is why I hate capitalism. <laughs> It was really weird. I can't even explain to you how bizarre it was, but apparently it's a big seller. But, but nonetheless, it was my happy place. But what was your happy place? My happy place this week seems a little undanny like, but here we go. Drinking on patios. Oh, I mean, like it's like one I- of my happy places. <laughs> It is. It's a very Damika happy place. It's such a Damika happy place. What in the world? Girl, are you yeah. drinking outside? I'm drinking outside. It's too you're, hot. You are so 30 plus. I I know. Living. I know. Yeah. How, I mean, it's just like, you? let's just drink outside, eat some chips and salsa. Like, oh. you know, a relaxing day. Nothing hanging over you. Just drinks and fresh air mm. maybe another person is there maybe not <laughs> you know what i often find that if another person's not there that is just more guac for you boo oh my that god is... i'm like really wanting some guacamole now i know actually i've mentioned it i think like twice <laughs> <laughs> that's what you need oh i love that it was such a demika thing well when we're together again even though it will be yes. cold I don't mind drinking on a patio when it's cold as long as there's some sort of heat source. Yes. Same. That's fine. Totally. I'm, I'm completely agreeing. But one day when we're in the same place, when the weather's not awful, we will do this and we will remember this conversation. It's been like, we made it happen. So it's true. <laughs> I mean, relax how you got to. If it means like some serial killer bullshit, do that. Yeah, if it means, do it. you know, some 
fucking drinking outside do that yeah do what you gotta bougie. do do what you need to do Gosh, I, miss, up. I miss drinking outside like new mexican summer nights yes drinking out on the patio <sighs> Girl. This is something people I feel like who are not from the desert don't know about the desert, but they don't it, know. Yeah, it's so fucking hot and dry during mm-hmm. the day, but the evenings and the mm. nighttime are just beautiful because it Hop cools in. down. You might even need a sweater, it gets so mm. cold. And it's just like after sweating all day, mm-hmm. that nice cool weather, it just. It's great. And it's everyone great. literally is, is so chill because like I said, you're just trying to escape the sun during the day and you got to get all that bullshit that you got to get done. You got to work. You got to drive in the traffic. Everyone is angry and passing out and dehydrated. And like literally everyone exhales at night and people are doing all the things they couldn't do. So they're like walking with their dogs and they're just out in the outdoor areas. It's just everyone just kind of ever so slightly mellows. Right. Ever so slightly on summer nights and you were just I love them I freaking miss New Mexican summer nights all right well that's it we we hope that you have a fucking relaxing summer night yeah obviously if you're not drinking to this then you should probably start and Danny thank you so much for 20 full episodes like thank you here we are I will say we originally intended this to be perhaps like a short run thing and then we just after we started we were like we should just keep going and so that brings us to episode 20 here we are Mm -hmm. and plus uh we've had extra episodes we've had mini episodes and i'm proud of the body of work that we have but that wouldn't be without people giving us great questions and being vulnerable and transparent and very open so thank you for those who are, are you know just kind of stepped up and just spoke their mind and shared their experiences. And we would love you to do that even more. Yes. And just to keep that vulnerable train moving. Sometimes it's, it's kind of like, you know, we have a smaller audience. And so sometimes we're like, Oh God, is anybody listening? Is anybody out there? And then we get an email or a message and D'Amika and I both just light up like we We totally do we'd love to hear from you so even if you don't have a topic or a question for us just uh shoot us a a message let us know if you like what we're doing or not if we don't want to feel like we're yelling into a void no one does (laughs) right But yes, please contact us on all of our social media feeds. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook at at Biracial Unicorns. We're at Twitter at Biracial Magic. You can just add us, private message us, email us at biracialunicorns at gmail.com. All the things. Definitely Mm. let us know. Uh, Before we leave, quick shout out to our wonderful artist collaborators, Dolly Pop Art, who did our logo. And uh, it's just an amazing artist. You can follow her on Instagram at Dolly Pop Art. Also, Joseph Scott of Citizens of Tape City, who did our beautiful intro and outro music. Thank you so much. If you're interested in hearing more of his work, make sure that you check him out. They're on Spotify. And they're also all over social media. If you're not on the Spotify train, find them, like them listen to them mm-hmm. we love our artist collaborators so thank you both for all of your wonderful work that you have done for us 
Mm-hmm. Well, Danny. Well, Damika, we'll uh, we'll be back next week to talk about something perhaps a little nerdy, perhaps a little weird. We don't know something mm. in a mini episode, and then in two weeks we'll be back with a full episode. Oh, so pumped! We'll catch you then. Peace out. <laughs>